0: Thanks for joining us again, and let's get to the service. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you all this morning. Hope you're all doing well. If you don't know me, if we haven't met, my name is Angus. I'm one of the leaders here at Gawler Uniting Church. For those joining us online, Welcome to you guys. If you're new or visiting, a very warm welcome to you. Hope you feel at home here. Feel free to stick around after the service. We'd love to get to know you better. Well, before I jump into it, I invite you to join me in prayer once more. Well, loving God, this morning we, we pray that you would move in this place this morning. Father God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Make yourself known to us this morning. Father, as I speak, I pray that it would be your truth and your word coming from my lips. In your name we pray, amen. Well, one of my favorite books of all time is a book by the name of The Picture of Dorian Gray. Some of you might have heard of it. The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. And I first read the book for the first time in year 10. So I would have been about 15, 16. And I say read like that because I got about halfway and then decided I was just going to Google the rest of it and finish my assignment that way. But a few years later, I went back to it, and it quickly became one of my favourite books. If you're unfamiliar with the story, there's a handsome, beautiful young man by the name of Dorian Gray, and he gets his portrait painted. And the portrait is just as beautiful as he is. And he falls in love with his own beauty and he becomes vain and selfish and under the tutelage of an older gentleman, he falls into a life of uh, debauchery and corruption. And as the years pass, as his lifestyle becomes more and more hedonistic, his beauty and his youth doesn't fade, but rather his likeness in the painting begins to reflect the way that he's been living. The hair thins, warts and wrinkles appear, the skin starts to turn grey. Spoiler alert, but the book came out in 1891, so if you haven't read it, you've had plenty of time. (laughs) Spoiler alert, the book ends by Dorian becoming enraged with how hideous the painting has become, and he stabs it with a knife. His servants run into the room after hearing a scream, and they found a decrepit old man dead on the floor and a beautiful young portrait in the room. And I think this book paints an excellent image as to why the way we live matters. The way we live our life has an impact on many things. And perhaps you have a similar story from your own life. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, as the screens can see, As they they show, sorry. We've been making our way through a series called Heaven. And we're looking at what happens after we die. What is heaven like? And in the first week, Josh outlined three different conversations Jesus had about heaven and the realities of how heaven exists. The first is that heaven exists now in another place. And this is the heaven that is present right now. When we die, we go to heaven. And he references the conversation Jesus had on the cross with the criminal hanging next to him. And the criminal asked Jesus to remember him. And Jesus, Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, right now, heaven exists somewhere else. The second is that heaven exists here in another time. This is looking to the future, where heaven and earth become one. And that's what we're diving into today. But Jesus tells his disciples, I am preparing a place for you, preparing for the future. It's what we read in the Bible being referred to as the age to come. But more on that in just a few moments. The third reality is that heaven exists here and now in another way. This is like how we can give people glimpses of heaven through the way we live. As we reflect God and Jesus and their love and grace, we can give people snapshots as to what heaven is like. And today, we're finishing off this short but important series by looking at the age to come, the future, how heaven exists here but in another time. What are we looking towards? What are we living towards? Why does how we live now matter? So, we're going to take a brief look at 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a community of believers in Thessalonica, and they've lost sight of the realities of heaven following Jesus' death and resurrection. They're especially concerned about the people who have died before Jesus' return, and they're scared about what happens after they die. And so, they're asking Paul, What's up, man? What's happening, I think this is a universal experience. Perhaps you guys can share that fear. I know I certainly can. I've lost loved ones and I've wrestled with what's happened to them after they've died. What's going to happen to me after I die? So in his letter, Paul responds to these concerns by talking about the hope we have as Christians, as believers, reminding them of what Jesus has promised. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 14. Paul says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have fallen asleep so you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. And this is when he talks about that hope. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, since we believe that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death, we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. And these couple of verses touch on some really deep and fundamental truths that the Christian faith is built upon. The first is that Jesus had a bodily, physical resurrection. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection where the essence of Jesus lived on or the vibe of Jesus lived on. It was the physical resurrection resurrection, where Jesus' body came back to life, I walked among the living once again. And this is the very hope and belief that holds Christianity together. Without the physical return of Jesus, I would argue our entire faith is a sham. The physical resurrection of Jesus is at the very core of Christian belief, more so than anything else. And it's from this core from which the rest of our faith grows and flourishes because it is through that resurrection of Jesus that God rescued us and redeemed us from the life of sin. He proved that the grave could not hold him and so it will not hold us either. So that's the first truth. Jesus had a physical resurrection. And the second truth is that when Jesus returns, so will the believers. The ones who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior over their lives, they will return with Jesus in the age to come. So when we feel like the people in the Thessalonian church wrestling with that deep question of what happens after we die, we can read Paul's words and we can rest assured that it has been promised to us that we will return with Jesus in the age to come. And this comes up again in 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. And this is the hope that the early church clung to. The promise that just like Jesus did, we will return. We will not be confined by the power of death. The grave will not hold us, but just as Jesus rose, so were we. And I think we've lost sight of that a bit. We talk a lot about eternal life here in the church, so much so that I feel like we've kind of become jaded to it. You know, eternal life, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, we're getting eternal life. But this is eternal life. <laughs> this is living forever. We don't need to fear death because death is not the end for us. You know, life can sometimes feel like it's going on forever particularly in uni lectures or long, boring church services. But um, even if you live to be over 100, that's barely even a blink in comparison to what we're talking about. John Piper, a Christian theologian, he has this to say. It seems to me that... That's a long quote. I didn't realize how long it was. Sorry, guys. (laughs) It seems to me that the hope of the resurrection does not have the same place of power and centrality for us that it had for the early Christians. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we have a wrong view of the age to come. Yes, to die is to gain. And yes, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. But this is not our ultimate hope. This is not the final state of our joy. This is not our final or main comfort when we have lost loved ones who believe. So, in short, yes, dying and going to heaven is undeniably better than life here on earth. But our ultimate hope does not lie in dying and going to heaven, going to the present heaven. Our hope lies in the age to come, what is yet to happen, the future that God has promised to us. But, unfortunately, not many of us really Have much of an idea as to what that age to come actually looks like. So that's what we're diving into today. How are we going? Still with me? That was the intro. We haven't even gotten to the meat yet. So if you need to get the jiggles out, now's your chance. All right, let's keep going. Now, when Josh told me I was preaching again, I got. I got a bit excited because it's been a while since I've preached and it's something I really enjoy doing. But then I saw the passage that was assigned was from Revelation and suddenly that excitement started to dwindle a little bit because I don't know about you guys, but I find Revelation a very difficult book to read and a very difficult book to understand. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible and the whole thing is basically a bunch of visions given to the apostle John the same John who followed Jesus and he's given a bunch of visions about what's going to happen when Jesus returns and it's full of deep metaphor and symbolism and full on apocalyptic imagery it's a bit much it's pretty intense at times and a lot of us struggle with it i'm sure i'm not the only one who does but as i researched for this message as i you know read some stuff as i Listen to a couple of other messages, some parts of it started to make a little bit more sense, and so I'm hoping that after today, I can at least impart some of that onto you. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're looking into Revelation chapter 21 and 22. I won't read it all out, um, but we're just going to jump around a little bit here, touching on the important key parts. But in these chapters of Revelation, John is describing the age to come, And he gives us some insight into what heaven is going to be like in the age to come. So Revelation, chapter 21, from verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. That's that preparation that we heard about earlier, when Jesus said to his disciples, I am preparing a place for you. John is seeing here that it has been prepared. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes." There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. We see here that in the age to come, when Jesus returns, there will be a re-creation, There will be a re-creation. If we were to jump back into the first week again, Josh spoke about the Hebrew understanding of time and how they broke it up into three parts. There was the prior age, which is what's happened before. There's the present age, where we're living now, and the age to come, the future age, when Jesus returns. And in the prior age, we read about creation, right? The story in Genesis that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with and we see that there was an initial creation where everything was just the way God wanted it to be. It was blessed, it was good, everything was fine. But then, if you're familiar with the story, Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree, and sin and death entered the world, and there needed to be a redemption. And this is the current age, the present age. We're living in it. There needs to be a redemption We're living under the curse of sin and that's why Jesus was sent as an act of redemption. And now, in the age to come, just as there was a creation in the prior age, there will be a re-creation in the future. Earth as we know it today will cease to exist and there will be a new earth. And right now, that new earth and the new heaven alongside it are being prepared for us. Now when we think of heaven, we usually think of a place that's completely separate to earth. And while that's true right now, in the future that's not going to be the case. Heaven and earth are going to become one in this recreation. John continues in verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and he showed me the holy spirit the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and over the next probably 20 verses John goes on to describe what this holy city is like and it's just incredible the way he describes it it's it's opulent it's gorgeous it's stunning it's made of gold and jewels the foundations are made from the most precious of stones the gates are made of pearls, the streets are made of gold, and while I'm not sure if this needs to be taken literally or not, I think the point is that what John is getting at here is that this new heaven, this new earth, it's beyond anything that we know. It's beautiful, it's stunning, it's full of richness and grandeur.